Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It's Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com. Thank you for joining us for this Thursday podcast. It's the Michigan State preview as we go through the Ohio State 2020 schedule. Let's see what we've done so far. Bowling Green, Oregon, Buffalo, Rutgers, Iowa. Now to opponent six, the Michigan State Spartans, assuming the schedule stays as planned. Matt Wenzel from MLive will join us to talk about the new era under Mel Tucker. And I forgot until the end of the podcast that like, oh, yeah, we thought Luke Fickle was going to be the next Michigan State coach. Instead, it is a former Ohio State assistant. It's not the recent assistant. It's Mel Tucker. And we have a good story at Cleveland.com. Just coincidentally this week, Matt Gould, our high school writer, uh, did a story about Mel Tucker. He went to Cleveland Heights High School, Northeast Ohio guy. Matt talked to people who coached him, knew him back then about what kind of guy he was. And I just want to make sure you guys knew a year ago when Mel Tucker was in his first year at Colorado – uh, I spoke with him then. This is a guy who had been a longtime assistant, had been at Ohio State, had been with the Cleveland Browns, had been in the NFL, Jacksonville Jaguars, Chicago Bears, winds up back in Ala, at Alabama with Nick Saban, then goes to Georgia with Kirby Smart. Probably should have gotten a shot at a head coaching job sooner than he did, but he got it at Colorado. But I just talked to Mel a year ago uh, in November and talked about sort of his career with him, went through everything. And just as a reminder, as we think about Mel Tucker as a recruiter, and this Michigan State preview, right, they're not going to be very good this year. That's your that's your hint. They're like a 500 team. They they're, they lost a lot. They're in transition. But what Matt Matt Wenzel from M- MLive and um, MLive.com, what he and I talked about a lot was Mel Tucker, the future of the program, the transition from Mark D'Antonio. And I just, if you don't know it, and a lot of you do know it, This is what Mel Tucker and I talked about last season when he went to Ohio State. He said, quote, growing up, I think almost every kid in the state of Ohio, and especially Northeast Ohio, wants to play at Ohio State. And I did not get that opportunity, Tucker said. He played at Wisconsin for Barry Alvarez. So I felt if I couldn't play there, then I could coach there. So I went there to coach and to recruit my hometown and recruit Northeast Ohio. Continuing the quote, there was an issue there with Michigan poaching players out of Northeast Ohio, as we know, Desmond Howard and Elvis Gerback, St. Joe's guys. And so that was my charge. 
with Trestle being a Cleveland guy, a Berea guy, a Baldwin-Wallace guy on the west side, and me being a Cleveland guy on the east side, it was my charge to not let anyone out of Northeast Ohio that we wanted. And I can honestly say, in my four years at Ohio State, no one ever got out of there that we wanted. Between Coach Tressel and I, we were able to partner up and get it done. I always used to say, if you can't recruit to Ohio State, you can't recruit. We felt we just had to get it done in Northeast Ohio. At that time, That needed we needed that to be a foothold for Ohio State. So that guy... And you know this. He was hired several months ago. That's the new Michigan State coach. So there's a lot of interesting stuff. I think you'll enjoy the conversation with Matt Wenzel of them live. Um, quarterback transition. Lost a lot of their playmakers. But what's the future at Michigan State I think is more interesting. But before we get to that, I want to remind you, you can ask questions as a tech subscriber. If you want to join, 614-350-3315. We are working on it. We are going to do a Zoom event. Soon, four tech subscribers will think we'll have like a hundred spots on a video Zoom call for people to come in with me, with Steven, with Nathan, and ask us live questions. We'll have a great discussion. I would I just did watched a live show on a podcast I enjoy. I watched that on Wednesday night and I thought it was cool. And it's like, yeah, I want to make sure we start doing this. And that's the plan. Maybe even next week. So again, if you have not been a tech subscriber, why not try it now for free? It doesn't cost you any money. You get a Zoom call out of it where you can ask us questions face-to-face. And then if you like it, you stick around. But I'm going to do two quickie questions. One of the things that I think does happen now is Nathan and Steven are new to covering Ohio State. I am old to covering Ohio State. So sometimes you guys have some really good questions that are kind of like history related and it just, it doesn't make sense to have Nathan and Steven try to answer them because they weren't here, but I was. So I'm going to try to make sure that we get to some of those history topics, you know, cause my oldness, otherwise my gray hair is for not, if we don't ever talk about, you know, 2007, or 2012 or old stuff. So, um, I'm going to try to make sure we drop that in from time to time because I know some of you on here listening have been Ohio State fans for a very long time. So just a couple quickies on this. They're kind of along those lines, kind of not. But this I thought was a very interesting one from the 813. I am really curious about your perspective on how the protests slash Black Lives Matter situation and the Ohio State's reaction would be different with Urban Meyer as a coach. Would we be in a similar situation as Dabo Sweeney and Clemson find themselves in? I don't necessarily think that, but I know he is a little more politically conservative than Ryan Day. I feel we are lucky to have Day in this climate. Ohio State always seems to have a knack for finding the right coach at the right time. Again, this is from the 813. And again, to reiterate, as we have said and as we have promised, when we talk about this stuff on here, it is important. We're not going to ignore it, but we're going to do it the right way. I think this is a particular interesting question, and I have a particular answer to it. So we're going to talk, discuss this particular thing. We have not yet on the podcast gotten into how some other programs have handled this, and Dabo Sweeney certainly was slow to publicly react on this. He certainly was more quickly public react, publicly reacted to express his displeasure four years ago with Colin Kaepernick kneeling, was not as quick to to talk about this. And he has been called out for that by multiple media members. Iowa, 
certainly has had an issue with many former, or at least some former black players saying that there was an environment there, particularly around the white strength coach, uh, Kirk Ferentz there a long time. And, and that strength coach is Kirk Ferentz's right-hand man, just like Mickey Mirati was Urban Meyer's right-hand man. And did they have at the very least an insensitive climate to black players? Um, Urban Meyer, as we know, is politically conservative to at least some degree. He endorsed John Kasich uh, for president when he was running in the Republican primary. Part of that's, you know, he's the Ohio governor. That made sense. Donald Trump tried to say that Urban Meyer uh, was a supporter of his. Urban never wanted to talk about that when I asked it about him. But from what I understand, I mean, I think he I think he might be. And again, it's not political, whatever it is. I think he might be somewhat politically conservative. I think Ryan Day, but that's not really the issue here because, again, the Black Lives Matter movement is not is not really a political issue. Of course it's a political issue because everything is and people want policy changed, but it's a social movement. And you can be, no matter how you vote, you can be open to societal changes. And so I don't want to pigeonhole somebody based on a political party, right? I do think Ryan Day is a little more open about that stuff. Ryan Day has been more open he has been very open about the mental health initiatives that he has pushed. He has been, I think, a little more just open about, like, how do players feel? Tough love is the thing Ryan Day talked about. He does seem like a coach more built for this kind of thing. Maybe it's old school, new school, but I just think, you know, generations change. Society changes. Ryan Day is a little younger. If you ask me who is maybe better prepared to deal with a situation like this and be open and understanding about it, I think maybe Ryan Day is. But that doesn't mean that I think Urban Meyer would be in the situation that Iowa football is in or that Clemson football is in or there are other programs around the country who have not hired it well, and I'll I'll handle it that well. And I will just tell you this. I noticed this um, tweet. Aaron Hodges is a guy who is a former uh, recruiting assistant at Ohio State. And he worked under Mark Pantone. He's basically Purdue's Mark Pantone now. His title is the Director of Player Personnel for the Boilermakers. And I noticed I've, I noticed that he tweeted this on June 7th. He tweeted, it's okay if you don't, and Aaron Hodges is black. It's okay if you don't understand. Here's a tool to help educate you on what has been going on. This is from June 7th. It explains how we have arrived at this point in America. Republicans and Democrats weigh in, and what he's retweeting is the Netflix documentary 13th, uh, which is a really good documentary by Anna DuVernay on uh, the 13th Amendment and um, the long history of imprisoning African Americans in this country. I actually watched it in the last week. This is the end of Aaron Hodges' tweet. It was recommended to me three years ago by Urban Meyer. So that's one tweet. That's one example. I just would say I think it's a really interesting question, and I think it's an interesting question that the texter makes about, like, boy, did I just see in it again that Ohio State has had some situations where it's like, you know, it's the end of Cooper and it's not working out, and oh, this just Jim Trestle guy, and he's the right guy for the job. And then – Everything happened with Jim Trestle and Urban Meyer's right there. And boy, he's the right guy for the job. And then here we have this stuff happen with Urban. And what happens? They promote the offensive coordinator. And maybe does it seem like Ryan Day is the right guy for the job? Right guy in skills and personality. I thought that was interesting that 
three years ago, Urban Meyer is recommending a documentary uh, to a black member of his staff about the history of imprisoning African-Americans in this country. So I just wanted to point that out. Okay, another thing I wanted to talk about. Um, there's a good recruiting question. I'm going to say that for the Friday podcast. Hits and misses of recruiting in the last five years. And I made a list, but I'm going to say that for the Friday podcast with Nathan. From the 843, this is the question. Why is it that the Big Ten and all of its universities are so quick to condemn poor coaching behavior, but the assistant at Clemson goes unchecked? Everyone called for Urban's head for the Zach Smith stuff, even though he told Gene Smith and did what he was required to do, right or wrong. So what happened is there is a situation where a player made an accusation and then Clemson admitted it, that a staffer, an assistant coach, did use the N-word in an incorrect... A white coach used the N-word several years ago. And that was an issue, obviously. And it did kind of just go away. And this is my theory on this. This was... Assistant coach Danny Pierman used a racial slur three years ago at practice. And Dabo Sweeney tried to explain it. And whatever the explanation was, you shouldn't have said it. It, it sounds, you know, okay, well, here's, it, it wasn't just someone calling some, a coach calling a player that. It was in a context. It was still incorrect. Sweeney said, I would fire a coach immediately if he called a player an N-word. No questions asked. That did not happen. Absolutely did not happen. It, it has not happened. Coach Pierman was correcting DJ and another player was talking to DJ and DJ was yelling at the player and whatever. That's how the word got said. My explanation is I think the Big Ten cares more what the world thinks than some of the schools in other conferences. And you can decide if that's good or bad. I think Ohio State in the end cared about what the world thought when they decided that Jim Tressel needed to go. I think it was an accumulation of public pressure that le finally led to, to his ouster in 2011. I think the way some of the Zach Smith and, and Urban Meyer stuff was handled was because of how they thought it would be viewed from a perception standpoint. Now, I think they did the right thing. I mean, you've, you've got to stand up against any kind of possibility of, of what was going on with Zach Smith. But I think some other schools say we don't care and it's going to go away. And like, we don't care what you think. And once we start winning football games again, you'll forget about it. And it's a, it's a PR game that you play. It's a crisis communications game that you play. Can we wait it out? Or are we going to try to apologize and, and do the right thing? And, or are we just going to say like, ah, yeah, 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 you know, whatever. We didn't really mean it. It wasn't a big deal. And just wait for the news cycle to change. It's a strategy. I think it's a way of doing business. I could understand if you were a fan of Ohio State and say, like, why don't they do that more? I think I'd probably rather be associated with a school that says, when we screwed up, we screwed up. We're going to hold people accountable and we're going to investigate it. I'd probably rather have my school do that. But I just think the Big Ten culture um, and and it, I'm not trying to make it say that the Big Ten is better than the SEC or the ACC, even though. Maybe it's making it. I'm making it sound that way. I just think it's a view on things. And so, um, if you're frustrated that the Big Ten does that, I just think it's kind of the Big Ten's way of doing business. All right, last one here that I'm going to do before we get to Matt Wenzel in the Michigan State podcast from the 910. If Ryan Day fulfills the rest of his contract and then leaves and has three national championships and the team is in playoff contention every year. Where would he rank among Ohio State head coaches? Could he surpass Woody? Can anybody surpass Woody? So I think he'd be second. 
and nobody can pass Woody, ever. And I made a list, and I would be curious if you disagree with this list, tell me. There are certain schools, and I have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. 11 coaches at 11 schools where they will always be the guy. Not just because they were best, but because they were the best first. And I, th- and I think that matters. I think that opportunity that you do something that no one has ever done before, right? And Ohio State had won championships, and they had had good coaches here. But Woody made Ohio State Ohio State. And even someone like Nick Saban did not make Alabama Alabama because Bear Bryant already made Alabama Alabama. So Nick Saban can never be that for Alabama, even though when ESPN put out its ranking of the top 150 college football coaches ever last year, Nick Saban was number two overall on that list. But guess who was number one? Bear Bryant. So Nick Saban, I don't think, can ever be that. If you said, can Nick Saban ever pass Bear Bryant, I'd say no. I think it's first guy to do it, the guy who shaped the program into then what it is forever or at least for an extended period of time, and there's a cult of personality around it. So here are the schools where I think they have a coach to that level, which means that nobody else at that school can ever achieve it. Even Nick Saban at Alabama. I would say Bear Bryant at Alabama is one. He was number one on that ESPN list. And I made this list myself and then double-checked it on the ESPN list. Newt Rockney at Notre Dame, I think, is that. And they have had great coaches. They've had Frank Leahy and Eric Parsegian and Lou Holtz and Jerry Faust. Huh? I remember when I was a kid, Jerry Faust was the coach at Notre Dame, and I did not realize that Notre Dame was supposed to be good at football. Newt Rockney is that. He's number two, and he's number three on that ESPN list. Tom Osborne at Nebraska, I think, is that. He's number four on that ESPN list. Joe Paterno at Penn State. And I'm not going to get into the Joe Paterno stuff, but Joe Paterno at Penn State he made Penn State what it, what it is as a football program. Nobody else will ever be that. Bobby Bowden at Florida State. He's number eight on that ESPN list. Same thing. Woody Hayes at Ohio State, number nine on that ESPN list. Same thing. Here's where it gets a little iffy, but not really. Bo Schembechler, I said on that list. Now, Fielding Yost is great, right? But he's really old. And when you think about being a Michigan man and and the ethos of, of what Michigan football is. And Bo's still recent enough, but I, I think Bo would qualify as that. Didn't win a national title, but I still think Bo qualifies there. And then the other guys that I st- I put on this list, Daryl Royal at Texas, I think just slides under the wire as that, as a defining guy. This guy, I think it's for sure, not quite the same thing, but Lavelle Edwards at BYU, who's number 22 on the ESPN list. He made BYU a, a program that mattered, won a national title, and that BYU is is at, at all on the, the radar of college football is because of Lavelle Edwards. And then the, the 11th guy on my list is Dabo. Multiple national championships, and Clemson has not had a guy to that level before, and Dabo's going to be that. However long he stays, whatever he does, when he leaves, they're going to name stuff the Dabo Sweeney football complex, and they're going to have a statue there. And that's what Dabo's going to be. So my 11 people who are like that in the Big Ten current conferences, Joe Paterno at Penn State, Tom Osborne at Nebraska, Bo Schembechler at Michigan, Woody Hayes at Ohio State. From the SEC, 
Only Bear Bryant at Alabama. Oh, and I forgot one in the Big 12. I apologize. In the Big 12, it's Daryl Royal at Texas and also Bud Wilkinson at Oklahoma. Old in the 40s. Number six overall on that list. And again, Bob Stoops, Stoops, Barry Switzer, other successful coaches there. Nobody's ever going to be Bud Wilkinson. I forgot to say him before. So it's Daryl Royal and Bud Wilkinson. Notre Dame as an independent. Lavelle Edwards and BYU as an independent. And then from the ACC, Bobby Bowden at Florida State. Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. Just missing the list. Guys like Hayden Fry at Iowa. Vince Dooley at Georgia. Bill Snyder at Kansas State. Don Nealon at West Virginia. Frank Beamer at Virginia Tech. John McKay at USC. Those guys, to me, are just a cut below that. And to me, you can't. You have to only, it's only one per school because the question was, could you ever pass Woody? Who's the guy that you can never pass? I'd say there are 11 coaches currently who would meet that threshold, and Woody Hayes is absolutely one of them, which means that all Urban Meyer or Jim Tressel or Ryan Day could ever aspire to be was the second best, second most important coach in Ohio State football history. And I think that goes for everybody who follows Ryan Day from now until 300 years from now. So those are a quick uh, couple questions with Dougie. Let's get to Matt Wenzel of Michigan State. That'll be it for this podcast. We'll come back on Friday. Nathan Baird will be back, and we'll do some more quick hit questions. Uh, And then mark it down Monday on Monday. Don't forget our big Wednesday podcast, a Gene Smith interview. We talked about Justin Fields' upside, restaurants that have gone out of business that we missed. And then the most discouraged Big Ten fan base, the next Big Ten team to beat Ohio State, the next team that could become a playoff contender out of the Big Ten. Lots of good stuff there in the Big Wednesday pod. So for now, let's get ready for Matt Wenzel, our Ohio State-Michigan State preview for the 2020 season. Thanks for listening to Buckeye Talk. Here to talk Michigan State with Matt Wenzel of MLive.com, part of the Advance Corporation. We're all brothers and sisters in this together in the journalism endeavor of Advance Local. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for your time here on Buckeye Talk. No problem, Doug. Thanks for bringing me on. How many years for you now? How many years covering the Spartans? Oh. Oh, whenever you have to moan before your answer, it's a lot, right? Four, I think. I would say the split. I was doing six, 16. I was doing Michigan and Michigan State, kind of in a weird role, hybrid role, doing both. Mostly Michigan, a little Michigan State, and uh, I've been the, the beat writer since 17. So I walked in on a – well, since the beat writer walked in on a 10-3 and three season and uh, with them rebounding and then – Obviously, the last two years haven't gone how they uh, expected. You've had a long year of 2020 for a lot of reasons. So I think <laughs> I could hear that, part of that in the moan. So let's start there as we analyze Michigan State and its spot in the Ohio State schedule. Ohio State fans, obviously, on in many different ways, were intimately familiar with Mark D'Antonio. First as the defensive coordinator for the Buckeyes when they won the national title in 2002, and then as a thorn in the side of Ohio State, Mark D'Antonio – was more successful against Ohio State than any coach in the country. I mean, honestly, what Michigan State did against her, I mean, that that was it. So, is Michigan State better off that Mark D'Antonio is gone and they have moved on to Mel Tucker, the Cleveland native who was the one-year head coach at Colorado? Is there a gaping hole in the Michigan State football program that Mark D'Antonio and what he established and all the success he had is now gone? Or is it somewhere in between? It's somewhere in between. I think, I mean, obviously, you, you, you know, you need kind of like the wide uh, perspective for 
for D'Antonio's career, he's the winningest coach in program history. He did things with that program that nobody felt were possible, like win Big Ten titles and go to the college football playoff and beat Ohio State with Meyer Ohio State team uh, twice. And um, you people can't forget that it gets lost in the recent years. You know, you get three and nine in, in sixteen. And after 10 and 3 and 17, you go 7 and 6, 7 and 6. And, and you know, there are people clamoring for change. Um, and I think, you know, you could just kind of tell that it looked like Mark was just worn down the last few years, especially this past season where he just seemed to be – it just seemed to be taking a toll on him. So um, I don't know if it would be appropriate to say the program is better off without him, but I think that the, the change had to come sooner or later. And you talk to players and people would say, you know, they thought he was going to step down sometime soon, maybe not when he, the timing he used, but, um, you know, it's 13 seasons a lot, um, and they needed a, you know, program needed to go in a different direction, um, and here you have it. So it'll be interesting to see where, where Mel's able to take it, um, especially this year with <laughs> challenging circumstances, to say the least. All right, so Matt, I like to tell our listeners here on Buckeye Talk when I am a terrible journalist and when I don't know what I'm talking about. We all know Mark D'Antonio left just to establish a foundational thing, and you have only been living this for the last several months. But can you just make sure and tell our Buckeye Talk audience, and by Buckeye Talk audience, I mean me, exactly what happened and why Mark D'Antonio left Michigan State? <laughs> well, um, the way that he said it was that, um, you know, the season came to an end and he was, uh, you know, he thought he could continue. He thought he had another year in him, basically, at least another year. And, and um, he got out on the recruiting trail and just kind of realized, you know, from talking to kids, he couldn't promise them that he would see them through their college future, you know, that, that he would be there in the, until they in the left. And, and then he cited the desire to spend more time with family, which I think you hear that plenty in all these, co- in all these decisions. Um, so that was his reasoning. He said, um, now behind the scenes, obviously you have um, a federal lawsuit that is growing uh, that a highly contentious federal lawsuit with new allegations being lobbed on an almost regular basis since he's really started to pick up, I want to say September or so this past year, on a lawsuit that had been filed in, in 2018. Um, you have Curtis Blackwell, his former recruiting director, is alleging potential NCAA violations and things like that. And it just kind of, it all comes to a head and he walked away. Now, Marco said flat out that that lawsuit, he said it had nothing to do with him um, retiring. I don't know if that's entirely accurate and honest, but, uh, the timing can't be ignored what was going on and, well, it continues to go on. You, again, this is where your moan comes from because we've all been there. You cover college <laughs> sports a long enough time and you realize, oh, I'm in one of those situations right now where you're not sure when it's going to end or how it's going to end. And as obviously that's what we're paid to do. You don't just cover the games, you cover the whole program. And so, um, you know, you don't know what the final resolution of all this is going to be. And again, Matt, that's your deal, man. I don't have to cover that. Good luck, buddy. But, well, you got, I mean, you're, you're familiar, you know how this stuff goes with the off the field stuff. Obviously uh, you had your fun in, uh, geez, a year ago, right? We've been right about a couple years. Year? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you, it's always right. It's just right around the corner for anybody. And that's not to disparage yeah. Michigan state or Ohio state or any program in particular. It's the way college athletics works. You are one day away from, from something exploding. Um, 
So I think for Ohio State fans, my, my question would be this. What is happening and what has happened around the Michigan State athletic program? What effect do you think that will have on the ability of the football team to be successful? Is there a cloud? Will there be lingering things? Is it, is it harder to recruit? Do you think there might be sanctions at some point? Again, we don't know what's going to happen, but how much is it impacting what Mel Tucker and this team are going to be able to do on the field in 2020 and down the line? It's there. And I think, I mean, obviously the NCAA is, it is investigating because the allegations that Curtis made were that, you know, Mark took him on, that he accompanied Mark on in-home recruiting visits. There was even an affidavit with a photo supplied uh, related to that, that now Michigan State, you know, contests that and says Curtis wasn't there. But that's, that on its own is a small thing. Alleging that jobs were arranged for the parents of a couple of recruits is obviously a separate thing. Um, Curtis filed a separate state lawsuit, one of four lawsuits that have been filed, um, in which he alleges that Mark, directed somebody to record audio or video of another team's practice in another state. You add all that up, if the NCAA finds there are things to that, then yeah, I mean, you could be on probation. You face, obviously you, can, you could face some things. Mel, contracts new tuck, Mel Tucker's new contract reflects the potential for Michigan State to be put on probation and, and being extended by a year. Um, those are there. I don't think those are at the forefront. I think they would, can, I think those things, you know, they're, they're going to have to be, they're going to come up again sooner or later, but I think they'd be more prominent if Mark was still there. I think when, obviously when he retires and, and you have a new coach that kind of, that changes the face of the program that kind of diverts everyone's attention in a different direction. Granted, it will come back at some point in time one way or the other, but I don't necessarily think that really hurts them recruiting so much. I don't think there are too many kids out there that are really aware of what, that stuff is and what the potential is. Obviously there are programs that could negatively recruit against them, but I think what would be the bigger thing to negatively recruit against Michigan state right now is obviously Mel Tucker spending one year at Colorado saying he was committed and then changing his mind and leaving that, that will be, have to be addressed, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think overall the, the, I, I don't think the off the field stuff is too big a deal right now. Okay, so back to football again. To to put the D'Antonio era in context, uh, which again, Matt, you've been doing that a million times up there. Um, between 2010 and 2015, no, between 2008 and 2015, that eight-year period. Um, no, do it again. Yeah, right. Yeah, see, professional journalist. Between <laughs> 2010 and 2017, that eight-year period, Michigan State won at least 10 games, six of eight years. In those six years, they finished in the final AP poll, 14th, 11th, 3rd, 5th, 6th, and 15th. That kind of run, that is sort of what's ingrained. That's the recency bias. Even when you say, oh, Michigan State's had a couple, you know, down years, seven and six the last two years, I still think of Michigan State as good, right? From afar, that stretch of six out of eight years winning at least 10 games, that's what still sticks with me about Michigan State. Is, is that the new standard for Michigan State football, or is it more realistic, and are the fans looking at it as, man, that was like the peak, and we are not going to expect Mel Tucker, once he gets a couple years to get rolling, because D'Antonio didn't do it immediately. You take a couple years, right? Once yeah. Mel Tucker gets rolling, will Michigan State fans expect him to win 10 games a year? and mirror D'Antonio's success? Or is that not actually what the Michigan State football standard is or should be? Depends on who you ask. 
Um, obviously, on his way out, Mark had said repeatedly that, you know, that was the standard, you know, Big Ten titles, Rose Bowl, college football playoff, whatever. That was the standard set. And, you know, right or wrong, that kind of came back to burn him because he, he was able to take them to a level that nobody expected. And then, you know, they, they held him to that. So uh, I think if you were to ask, you know, you pull whatever percent, whatever, however many fans, you're going to get a certain percentage of them that, will say, yeah, you know, they should be able to get right back there. If Mark, Mark did it, Mel can do it and, you know, win 10 games and or win double-digit games, win Big Ten titles, I think you'll have some that are more realistic and say, yeah, that might not be <laughs> – that might not, not be uh, entirely accurate to expect that. I mean, you look at what's happened in the Big Ten, uh, not to say that was the reason for, for Michigan State's success. They obviously were very good. But, you know, Ohio State isn't going anywhere, you know, the, it, I will pick Ohio State to win the division every single year until you give me reason not to. Uh, James Franklin turned around Penn State. They're right there. Michigan's right there. I mean, that's a that's a hell of a deal to do, you know, just to have that in your own division. And I, I personally, I don't think at this point in time, you can really expect them to match that run that Mark had um, that you just cited, because I, I just think that is kind of an outlier and it's an anomaly for the most part. And when you look back at the history of the program to be able to accomplish that, you know, things got to come together. You've got to hit it right on so many guys with the way they recruit. You know, they're not out there like Ohio State or, or Alabama or Clemson with the guys they get. They've got to develop them, and it's all got to come together. And and they had that for, for a while there. But I think it's really a tough ask. Now, can they should they be competitive in the Big Ten East? Absolutely. You know, they have, they have the resources. They have the history. They've got money now for assistant coaches, you know, $6 million for his staff of, of assistants. That's you know, you're, you're up there playing with the guys, with the big boys in a lot of ways, so you should be able to at least be competitive. But I don't know about matching that level of success of being uh, expected. So let's talk recruiting a little bit. And it's hard, obviously. No one has a gauge 100% on Mel Tucker right now. He just got there. But, again, you talked about – and, again, Ohio State fans are very intimately aware of this, you know, the, the Mark D'Antonio Michigan State reputation of taking three-star guys and developing them. Uh, into really, really, really good, impactful players in the Big Ten, and often that turned into good NFL players. And a lot of those guys came from Ohio. D'Antonio mm-hmm. leaned on his Ohio roots and was incredibly successful doing that. I've often wondered why other programs aren't as successful in coming in and getting some of those maybe three-star, three-and-a-half-star Ohio kids and, and doing what Mark D'Antonio did. Mel Tucker, as we said, from Cleveland. Mm-hmm. He helped establish the Glenville pipeline when he was hired by Jim Trestle, when Jim Trestle took over to Ohio State. And that was a time when Michigan was pulling kids out of Northeast Ohio. And when I talked to Mel Tucker last year, uh, while he was still the head coach of Colorado, he would tell him the story of Jim Trestle told him, you can't let that happen anymore. And the Glenville pipeline that Ohio State has basically put up a fence around Ohio for the guys they really want. Since Jim Trestle, Mel Tucker helped build that fence. Mel Tucker knows how to recruit Ohio. What sense do you have from Tucker so far of, A, any kind of recruiting strategy that may be any different from D'Antonio, B, how much Ohio will matter to Mel Tucker and Michigan State recruiting, and C, just how Michigan State will go about it. Will they recruit better than Mark D'Antonio did? Will they try to maybe get more higher-ranked kids and maybe be able to do that? What, what's the recruiting sense you get so far from Mel? Well, first of all, I always I, the the comparisons comparisons between Mark and Mel are, are quite striking. You know, when you look back at, you know, they were defensive backs by trade, they were defensive back coaches by trade, and you can line up their career. You know, working together at Ohio State, obviously, and 
you just see some of those similarities, but Mel had, you know, he had made it clear that, you know, every coach will tell you this, you got to win locally. And he pointed obviously to, to Michigan and winning in state and winning Detroit. Um, Detroit became a problem for Michigan state in the last couple of years with the fallout from in ways tied to uh, Curtis Blackwell and his connections. But uh, Ohio, Mel stressed the importance of Ohio and Midwest being in, you know, the guys within the driving range, you know, one day, uh, that being a critical component for the program recruiting. And I think you're obviously going to see that, um, but I think you're going to have to give it a little more time because, you know, stepping in at the time he did and with everything that's happened with the, the pandemic and the limit on, you know, the dead period in recruiting, you know, they got 11 guys committed to their, their 2021 class right now, only one from Ohio. Uh, but I think what, what you notice right now in the difference between this staff and the previous staff is pretty obvious. And just the, the reason for it is that they're Mel, you know, he, he, he retained uh, Mike Tressel and Ron Burton. Um, and then the other guys are new, although Harlan Barnett comes with an asterisk, but uh, you're seeing them rely on the relationships they built with these recruits when they were or his assistants that were still at Colorado with him. So you take a guy like Hampton Faye, their quarterback commit, um, he was a guy that they identified when they were still at Colorado and offered him. And then they, you know, Mel moves to take, goes over to Michigan State, brings his OC and, and QB's coach with him. And they offer the kid again and they just pick up where they left off. I think you see that, um, with some of these guys. Uh, difference is also, um, he's, Mel is very, placing a heavy, uh, emphasis on recruiting. Um, every assistant coach we've talked to has, has noted how much he's placing on recruiting. I think you've seen, there's been some videos that um, like a day in the life thing that the program has used their Instagram account for showing. And you can see when the day, I think it was Mike Tressel, something like getting out done with meetings at two o'clock in the afternoon or whatever time it was noon. I can't remember. And I think the next two or three hours being completely devoted to recruiting. Um, and I think that's just part of the time right now because you can't practice. You can't be in there meeting with the guys. Um, so that's interesting. Um, and you've seen them adopt the, uh, I know other programs have done this so well, but uh, virtual visits. Because if you look at the 11 guys they got committed to their class, I think it's off the top of my head, maybe two or three have actually been to Michigan State's campus before. You know, the rest of these guys are committing just through the relationship they've built with, with coaches via, you know, calls and, you know, video conferences and taking these virtual visits that the staff has placed a lot of importance around to you know, make the best of a, a difficult situation where you can't bring guys on campus and you're recruiting somebody from Miami to come to East Lansing and play. That's not easy. So I, I think they're long-term. I think you'll see them maybe develop more of a national footprint um, recruiting wise. I think you're seeing that from some of the guys that they've been going after. Um, and then the strategy is just different part of it out of need this class, but I think it'll change, you know, Mark's old way of doing things kind of used to be, you know, bring a kid on campus, then you give them an offer. And then once the kid's committed, then you're not supposed to visit any other schools. And, you know, you get those weird rules. I don't know if it'll be the same uh, for Mel in those ways. And I don't think it can really be the same, especially this this class where you got guys that are committed. And I don't know how you can tell them they can't take a visit anywhere else when they haven't even been to your campus. Matt, it feels like to me that Michigan State fans are about to go through what Ohio State fans did in the transition from Jim Trestle to Urban Meyer where Jim Trestle was successful and then Urban Meyer got here and it was like, Oh, that's what recruiting is. Yeah. And we all remember the, how many 
Feathers, Urban Meyer ruffled when he got here and said, like, I don't care if a kid's verbally committed until you sign on the yep. line. We're going to keep recruiting you. And Mark D'Antonio was like one of the guys who kind of stood up and said, like, hey, gentlemen's agreement and that kind of thing. Like, it doesn't mean that guys like Jim Tressel and Mark D'Antonio weren't successful as coaches. We just detailed how Mark D'Antonio was the most successful coach in Michigan State history, arguably. Mm-hmm. We know what Jim Tressel did at Ohio State. But when you go from somebody who recruits as part of the job to a coach who lives recruiting as the lifeblood of the program, which is what Urban Meyer did, and it sounds like Mel Tucker is more that. It is a foundational change in how a program does business. And it doesn't mean that everybody's going to be as successful as Urban Meyer, but I do think it, it, it allows a program that has been good to sort of reevaluate itself step into the modern era and really have a chance to, to take a jump. Again, not that we're going to hold Mel Tucker to the Mark D'Antonio standard, but, you know, Michigan State might have a shot to start pulling in kids, like you said, that they just haven't been pulling in before because they kind of weren't trying. Yeah, you know, and I think Mark kind of, you know, he used to lament, oh, you're recruiting a kid all the way out there in California. That's a long way. I think that's some, you know, not that they didn't get kids from California or Nevada or whatever. I mean, hell, they've even – Sign kids from Australia. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's just a different fundamental approach like you, you're talking about. And, and some of it I think is a little bit of an age thing. I think some of it is requires a little bit more stamina from both your head coach and your staff members to be fully engaged in recruiting, which is obviously not an easy part of the job. You know, that's a, that's a long grind, but and, you know, you've heard Mel and some of the assistants drop the cliches about recruiting, you know, it's, you know, it's like shaving. If you miss one day, you look like a bum or whatever, you know, that one is. And, but I think he is generally uh, honest about his approach to recruiting and how important it is for the program, which I think everybody can see that. So with, with Mark, you've got that, you, you, you've got that history where you can say, look at these guys that he took, you know, the Le'Veon Bells, the Kirk Cousins, the Greg Jones, the Connor Cooks, these guys that nobody really wanted that much to do with and look what they became. Um, but at the tail end, you look at, you know, uh, his last recruiting class, and there isn't a single four-star prospect in that. And you're, you're taking a, a leap on some guys in some ways, some who are actually kind of relative newcomers to the sport. Um, and I think, you know, that'll play out down the road. But I think they fans will definitely welcome a different recruiting approach and see them being more aggressive and, you know, whether that's just through – you know, graphics and the shiny stuff that the kid, you know, they send the kids and, you know, all that stuff that doesn't really mean anything, but if it means something to the kids, then it helps you land recruits, then fine. But they're committing more to that. It's pretty obvious or definitely a lot more active on social media. Mel has embraced that uh, in, in ways that Mark never did or would. Um, so those are, those are definite changes you see in uh, this cycle. I don't, you know, this isn't going to be a cycle where they're going to land a top 20 class. I just can't envision it. You know, it might not even be a top 30 class just because of those circumstances. But, uh, you know, I think you start looking to 2022 class and, and down the road from there and we'll see what they can do with a full, you know, with full cycles and, you know, building relationships with these kids, you know, for more than a couple months, you know, years out, get them on campus and get them to visit. And I think that'll give you a good, better feel, obviously, for uh, how successful he's going to be able to be at Michigan State recruiting. 
So the, the idea of this is we're doing a schedule preview and it's figuring out the Ohio State schedule and Michigan State is next up. And we're not talking much about Michigan State on the field because as, as everybody listening to this knows, I mean, this is a program in transformation. And so this is, you know, Mel Tucker, if this goes well, is going to be in the Big Ten for like a decade or more. So I, 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 I'm, I will get to a, a couple specifics about the team this year. But I, before we do that, I just want to get one more sense of Mel Tucker again um, mm-hmm. as a guy from Cleveland. Just how you, – you've explained some ways that he's changing some things up. Just how else is he – again, you can make some comparisons to D'Antonio, but how else is he maybe just different that you're just seeing how he's going to go about his business a little bit differently than, than what they did in the Mark D'Antonio era? Well, that's a good question. Um, it'll be interesting – well, this is – you know, if you look at his staff, first of all, you know, he brings two guys, he retained two guys, brought Harlan Barnett back, and, and the rest are, are outside guys. Um, but, you know, we'll, I can't remember what it was, four guys from Colorado we brought as assistants, but either way, it'll be interesting to see how he, his, uh, uh, the way he works with his assistants. Because, you know, he said, and I've read, that, you know, he's fairly hands-off, he lets everybody do their job. Um, but I would be interested to see how, you know, is he going to be loyal to these guys to almost to a fault like like Mark was um, in, in refusing to make changes? Or if, you know, if their offense sucks next year, is he going to blow it up and, you know, find a new coordinator? Or, you know, just as a, you know, example, I, I don't know. So that was one thing that, that actually stuck with you with Mark towards the end is the inability to make changes um, kind of on the fly and, and be willing to give things up. And that's what I want to see. That's what I'm curious to see with Mel and how much he – he allows his assistants to just do their own thing and handle it versus maybe having a little bit more control over it like Mark did. Um, I can't even remember where I was going with that. Sorry, Doug. No, well, you know, I will interject <laughs> and say this. We have often theorized about this, um, that uh, Jim Trussell was still at a peak when he was forced to resign as Ohio State's head coach. But what you're describing with Mark D'Antonio and – the two seven and six years to end D'Antonio's tenure after his peak and looking at him and seeing that like he kind of seemed like he was worn down. I always wonder if that's what Ohio State would have been heading toward with Jim Trestle. I think we saw that with Mac Brown at Texas. You know, that you can yeah. be a really successful coach and you can get a little stale. And sometimes loyalty can work against you. And for you to talk about D'Antonio, we know he shuffled the staff a little bit, moved positions around, never got rid of guys. Trestle yeah. did the same thing, loyal to a fault. Everybody knows that Jim Bowman was here with Jim Trestle forever. And then where did he land? He landed with Mark yeah. D'Antonio. He's worth Mark D'Antonio forever. I don't want to make this a Jim Bowman podcast, but it's just I, I, what you are describing in the transition, I think is maybe – what Ohio state would have been headed for if, if you know, the whole thing didn't happen um, the way it happened. So it's just fascinating to hear that discussion because they're so alike. And we know that. And again, for people who don't know the Mike Tressel that Matt keeps talking about is Jim Tressel's nephew. Like everybody knows that, right? You get this Mark. I mean, this is, this is, and I've written about this when urban Meyer sort of took over and transformed Ohio state, Jim Tressel, the legacy of Jim Tressel transferred to Michigan state. And so to hear that the way it ended is just fascinating because it's sort of the end and in some ways of the trestle way of doing business. Um, and I think D'Antonio wouldn't shy away from that. He wasn't trestle, but he sure had a lot of trestle's DNA. And I just, to, to think about how it sort of came to an end there is just fascinating to me. 
Yeah, he Mark, Mark constantly talked about Jim and how he would call them and, you know, bounce something off them and, and you know, have some sort of uh, insight into what he was going through. So I don't think there's any secret there. Those two were are obviously good friends and obviously very – you can definitely draw the similarities, in the, you know, between their them as coaches. And Yeah, just towards the end, I don't – you know, even if Mark would have come back, I think what you if he was honest and you looked at it, you looked at who the team you'd be bringing back this season – First of all, you know, the biggest question going in after the shuffle, the offensive staff um, before the 19 season, you know, he hadn't made any sort of public announcement about any of his assistants all the way and until, he, you know, he announced his retirement on February 4th. So if you were going to march back the same staff with a roster that's losing the bulk of its playmakers and a brutal schedule, I mean, I think he would have had to commit to, you know, a three years if he wanted to walk three or four years if he wanted to be able to say, I didn't want to go out with seven and six. I wanted to go out with a 10 win season or something like they did in 17. In hindsight, maybe that would have been a better time for him to go. You know, you could go out with a a double digit win season, a bowl win, uh, a rebound from a, from a bad year and and leave a new coach with uh, promising young talent. Maybe that would have, it would have been interesting to see if that's what, how would have, what his decision would have been in hindsight. All right, let's get on the field real quick here, Matt, before I take up too much of your time. Uh, Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. I always talk about this. I'm fascinated by the idea of it. Brian Lewerke as Michigan State's quarterback, um, you know, fine, right? Finish his career, 47 touchdowns, 32 interceptions, completed 58% of his passes. You know, again, successful year in 2017, uh, and then seven and six the last two years. I know he had some injury issues at times too, but just seemed to me like the exact kind of guy that he's good He's not really good enough to get you over the hump in the long run, but he's too good to bench probably. And I feel like when you get when you have a quarterback like that, it can lead to a little stagnation with the program. I think Michigan in some ways with Shea Patterson dealt with that. It's like, well, he's your guy, but how good is he really? So Brian Lewerke is gone. Is Michigan State going to be worse at quarterback, or is it like a, a new fresh start at that position that maybe the program needed? Uh, you know, it – or am I being too mean to Brian Lewerke? If you, if I'm no, being no, too mean to being, Brian Lewerke, like, bring no, it. You're being fair. You're being fair. I mean, I, it's just one of those things when you have a guy who's been a starter for three years. I think the fan base is you get most of them. Well, th- when you're a starter for three years and your last two years are seven and six, I think everybody in the fan base is like, you know, you get to the point where you just want to you want to see them put anybody in, play the true freshman who's never been in a game, do this or that. You know, Brian was basically what you described. He was good, but not good enough. Uh, he never really took the leap after, you know, the 17 season where he looked like, you know, he rushed for 2,500 yards or he rushed for 500 yards through for 2,500 and had 25 or whatever it was total touchdowns. He never progressed from that and, and, and you never saw that full potential. At the same time, the run game was was not really any good. It was terrible the last two years, one of the worst in the country. So he doesn't have help there. And, you know, you get wide receiver injury problems. So, I guess that's just kind of a way you got to view Lorkey's career with there being some some circumstances. That said, I have no idea what we're going to see at quarterback this year. I obviously don't because the only guy we've really seen is Rocky Lombardi. You know, he started three games for the Lorkey in 18 when he was injured, had a great de- good debut against Purdue, throwing for 300 yards and a couple scores. But that Purdue team had one of the worst pass defenses in the country. Everybody has to remember that. And then the next two outings, uh, you know, he, he wasn't able – wasn't as effective. He played last year sparingly, and it seemed like, and he didn't play well. And it seemed like it, almost every time he got thrown in there, it was just in a bad situation, you know, pinned in your at your four yard line or something, down by twenty some points. 
in the third quarter with a team that looks like it's already half ready to just leave. I mean, I don't think that's fair to, to Rocky in some ways, but so Rocky would be the guy. If Mark had come back, I would have said Rocky would be your day one starter just because he's loyal that way. Um, he's got the experience, but after that, Theo Day is a redshirt sophomore. He's attempted, I think, all of three college passes. Peyton Thorne is a redshirt freshman, and he never even saw the field last year running the scout team. So I'd say, you know, put 33% on, on all three of those guys as, you know, who will be the starter. And I wouldn't say necessarily the guy who starts day one is is the starter in the, the final game of the season. There's just too much unknown about um, the other guys. You already mentioned sort of losing a lot of playmakers. What What's left on the rest of the offense? Is there something that this offense can hang its hat on, or is it going to be just trying out new stuff and new dudes pretty much all year? No, there's there's some pieces there. I mean, like you mentioned, the, most of the guys kind of – most of their key players on both sides of the ball are gone, but you bring back a, uh, a sophomore, Richard sophomore running back in Elijah Collins, who almost rushed for – he was, what, 12 yards shy of 1,000 last year, and he wasn't even the starter on day one. So – uh, you know, I think he's promising young guy, and, and really it's the offensive line that needs to show some growth because there are the guys there. There's potential. There's talent. They've been, you know, so many injuries the last two years. It just hasn't come together. So if they can get the offensive line. You know, they returned 10 guys who started at least one game on the offensive line last year. So you got the experience. If you can get that worked out, Elijah Collins has promised. And then a receiver, you lose your – they lost Daryl Stewart and Cody White, uh, their top two guys. But um, – Jalen Naylor comes back if he can stay healthy. He's an explosive guy. But Jaden Reed was a transfer from Western Michigan. He was a freshman All-American in 2018 and had to sit out last year. I think he's he's a guy that can walk in and be a day-one starter, maybe even lead them in receiving, that kind of thing. Uh, Trey Mosley had a solid year as, as a freshman last year. So those are some of the playmakers, some of their top playmakers. I'm probably forgetting somebody off the top of my head. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's potential there. There's just we'll see type of deal. Defensive side of the ball, we know that, again, Mark D'Antonio defenses always had dudes. Um, can they lean on the defense this year, or are there too many holes? I, I think you're going to see them take a step back defensively. And obviously, the big question is we don't know what they're going to look like scheme-wise. Um, they haven't been clear on specifics. We've got a lot of, you know, the usual, oh, we're going to play the guy's strengths. So, whether what that actually looks like will be determined. Uh, you know, Michigan State's a 4-3 traditionally, and uh, their new defensive coordinator, Scotty Hazleton, said you'll probably see more of that this year just because of that's what they recruited for. Um, but you lose three three-year starters on the defensive line, one of which is Kenny Wilgus, an All-American. Uh, you lose two or three starting linebackers, and you lose two of your uh, four starters in the secondary. So, yeah, I, I don't see a way the defensive line doesn't take a step back. Um, and then at linebacker, Antoine Simmons is a senior. He's your top returner in defense overall. And then the secondary, I mean, the pass defense was disappointing last year, to say the least. Uh, they got – there's three game stretch where they gave almost 1,000 yards was Illinois, Penn State, and Michigan, I think. Um, they they need to develop some corners. You know, you lose Josiah Scott earlier to the NFL. That doesn't help. But they moved Julian Barnett, former four-star guy, former – a guy, somebody, some of the Ohio State fans – up there might remember his name. Uh, he was a four-star guy from Belleville, and he was a cornerback receiver. He played only corner last year from Michigan State. Or I'm sorry, played only receiver from Michigan State last year, but uh, he's moved the corner in the offseason. 6'2 guy, so you get that interesting length. And 
Uh, he's one of the more intriguing players to watch uh, on either side of the ball for Michigan State going into the fall. That other name that Ohio State fans probably know, Antoine Simmons, as you mentioned, the guy who ah, yes. <laughs> went to high school across the street from Michigan Stadium but yes. committed to Ohio State. I remember that we wrote a million stories about Ohio State just got a commitment from a guy who, who could walk to Michigan Stadium in 30 yeah. seconds and then yeah. ends up decommitting from Ohio State. Uh, in December of 16, I think it was, and now here he is. He's been a really good player at Michigan State, right? Yeah, you know, he uh, you know, he was an immediate contributor as a true freshman, really through uh, special teams, first of all, and then as a backup. And, you know, he just – the timing-wise, I think he would have had a bigger role earlier. But, you know, he came onto a team that had a, you know, returning starter at, at the weak side linebacker spot. So he had to kind of sit and learn. Uh, Andrew Dow, who some Ohio State people might know that. He's a Cleveland guy, and that's a – Dowell families have yep. a Michigan State thing. Um, but with him, you know, it's been really good to see his development and in both on the field as a player because he you know, led them in tackles last year. He can play inside, outside. But as a leader, um, he's a very interesting person to talk to. Um, and, and he's a very much a lock to be a team captain this year. I would be absolutely shocked if he wasn't. Um, so, yeah, he's he's – It'll be interesting to see how they build around him on the defense, um, whether their new linebackers coach wouldn't tell us where he's going to play, but where he fits in and where they find him fit best is really, is going to be interesting. But I think with his speed, they kind of need him on the edge, but again, depends obviously on the scheme they choose to use, but uh, I think there's no question. He's their, he's their top defensive player coming back. Uh, and obviously, you know, one of the team's biggest leaders, probably the biggest leader. All right, last one, Matt, before I let you go, and thanks so much for your time on this. Michigan State right. fans, the ones who you interact with, who email you and tweet at you, and are they optimistic? Like, hey, it was time for a change. Mel Tucker seems like an enthusiastic, good coach. Like, let's go. Obviously, the coaching, the coaching search was a was a bit of a mess. And actually, I, I need to ask you, actually, as part of this question, I need to ask you about Luke Fickle, uh, who a lot of us <laughs> thought was going to end up being the guy at Michigan State. But they didn't get Luke Fickle. Mel Tucker says no. Then he says yes. Um, if they didn't get Mel Tucker, who knows what would have happened. We all, but in the end, and I'll throw Fickle in this, not getting Luke Fickle, but then they get Mel Tucker. Are Michigan State fans optimistic? Are they worried? Are they pining for D'Antonio? Are they fired up and think that, you know, where, are, where is the fan base right now? And how dis, were they disappointed to not get Luke Fickle? Absolutely. When that initially happened, when that initially happened, because um, it was it was pretty clear, like that was that's like the guy. And then it all went down and people were irate about, you know, Michigan State screwing this up and it was all the AD's fault and this and that. And then they circle back and get Mel. And I think the energy he's brought and some of the things he's done and the way he's interacted with with some fans on social media has changed a lot of people around. Some people I've even seen them say, oh, we wouldn't have had this, you know, kind of. We wouldn't have seen this from Luke Fickle. You know, it's a, you know, it's the classic thing. You know, you somebody spurns you and you turn around and you say, well, we got it better anyway. So, um, but as far as expectations, I, I think most people are realistic when they look at the season. You see, you know, a new head coach with a new staff on a team that lost most of its talent, uh, doesn't have a return, doesn't have a quarterback identified yet, and didn't get to have a single spring practice. And you look at their schedule. You know, I, I've, I've said all along, you know, even, bef- even before uh, uh, spring practice canceled, six and six in a bowl game would be definitely be a, a successful season for them. And I think most fans 
uh, would agree with that as well. Anybody out there saying they should win 10 games this year, go to India is, is insane. It just is not, there's no way that's realistic to expect. Um, so yeah, I think that that's most of the fan base I think is pretty realistic for this season. Now give them a couple more years and, and things might change. He's Matt Wenzel. You can follow him on Twitter at M W E N Z E L two. He's our beat writer for MLive.com covering the Spartans. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for your time. I know much more about Michigan state than I did half an hour ago. Mel seems like a good guy. So I hope, I hope he's a good guy um, for you guys to work with up there. And it's just one of those that, you know, I think it's good for the big 10 when, when programs are good, you know? So, I mean, it it makes Ohio state's life tougher when Michigan and Penn state and Michigan state are good, but I like it when Michigan state's good and Michigan state's been a really fun team to observe, you know, from afar over the last decade. And uh, you know, be nice if that continues. Hey, and I always love going to the horseshoe. Great place. Matt Wenzel. Matt Wenzel is the man. Thanks so much for your time, and uh, hopefully we will uh, see you this season if there is a season, and thanks again for joining us here on Buckeye Talk. Thanks, Doug. Hopefully see you in October. Thanks to Matt Wenzel. Thanks to you guys for listening. Nathan, back on Friday. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.